Hey, this is Chris. Before we get to the show, let me tell you a little bit about Anchor. Anchor is our way of we record podcasts. Fantastic. Let me tell you why. It's easy. It's free. There are creation tools that we can record and edit your podcast right from your phone and your computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you. So it can be heard on such um, providers as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many, many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need in a podcast and so much more. Check out Anchor, and you can find it all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Anchor, it's a fantastic way of creating your first podcast and making it work. And we are back. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. Um, We are back, Jennifer Mooney and I, with another episode of Hope Interrupted, the podcast. And we want to thank those who are listening, who might be listening to this after um, tonight. So we want to welcome our audiences who are downloading us as well and listening to us, whether you're in the car on the road or you're driving back from grandma's house. Whatever. We hope to have a fun-filled power pack 30 or so minutes. Jennifer, hi. Hello, Byron. I'm in Colorado Springs today. Are you really uh, against the Rocky Mountains and stuff? Yes, I am here against the Rocky Mountains, and um, I have no complaints. It's nice nice to be here, nice to be in the mountains. You'd be happy here because... They have a beautiful golf course that I've spotted, but not stepped a toe on. Well, you'll have to take me next time, you and Don, because I know y'all are having a good time out there. And I can't wait to come. We are. Thank you. Yeah. So I've been very excited about this next guest that you're going to introduce because, you know, she, I I think I met her, wow, almost 20 years ago. She probably brought somebody before our editorial board at the Cincinnati Inquirer where I was. That's probably, I'm pretty sure that's probably where I first met her. Uh, but now she is doing some incredible things, and I know you're about to introduce her. So I will stop talking so we can talk to her as soon as possible. We're <laughs> thrilled to have Julie Whitney on with us today. And like Byron and me, she has spent a lifetime in communications, and we're all old enough to call it a lifetime right about now, but we all still look pretty young. Yeah, and, we and we're cute. <laughs> Thank you. Um, Julie is for those of you in Ohio listening or in Cincinnati, Julie is a lifelong Cincinnatian. She graduated from Walnut Hills High School, one of the best high schools in America. That's right. It's and like the 30th best high school in America, right? It's always the mod sumum. Yes. It's always yes. always up near the top. She also um, graduated from Miami University, which is considered a Midwest Ivy. That's right. And a like me. Ivy. Like me, she was a sorority girl, but I don't talk about that a whole lot anymore. She is well known in Cincinnati for her PR prowess, expertise, and everything she's been able to do for different interests. But today we're going to talk about something she's done on a personal level. She is about to, and she'll tell you the time frame, her first children's book is coming out. And this is 
probably going to be the first of several. And the story is very personal to her, and it ties in with stories of hope. So with that, welcome to the show, Julie. Thank you, Jennifer. I'm honored to be here. And even though I am a lifelong Cincinnatian, I did move away for a period of 10 years to the East Coast. But like all Cincinnatians, I said, I'm getting out of this cow town. But guess what? I came running back and realized it was a pretty nice city after all. I, I've come back <laughs> a few times, but I think I, yes, made, I, I think I may be gone for good this time. But I, I already have two trips planned there in the fall. So we'll see. <laughs> That's great. Julia, it is so good to have you on this show. Uh, we've been looking forward to this. Tell us about your new book, which is called... Astra the Lonely Airplane. And why was Astra lonely? <laughs> well, let me just preface this by saying writing a children's book was never, ever, ever on my bucket list. <laughs> okay. So yes. during the pandemic, um, the ongoing pandemic of during May of 2020, May 5th of 2020 to be exact, my husband, who was the chief corporate pilot for a local company that was sold, um, was told that they were selling the plane and eliminating his job with no notice. So I literally went in with him to the hangar that night, helped him clean out his office, uh, get everything out of there. It was very emotional because, I mean, he was with this plane every day, day in and day out for 12 years. I mean, he even flew her as far away as Brazil. And she was his baby. I mean, he knew what made her tick, what was wrong with her, you know, did a lot of the maintenance. Um, anyway, he lost his job with no notice. And I went in with him to say goodbye to the plane, really. And I said, let me sit in the plane one more time. I, I've never been able to fly on the plane because I'm not a corporate executive for the company he flew for. But I've sat in her in the hangar and pretended, you know, pretended what it would be like to fly at 35,000 feet in Astra. So I literally started crying. I could cry right now thinking about it. I mean, I just got really emotional. I said he was losing his job and the plane was going to be sitting there in the hangar all alone, wondering where is this guy every day that came and flew me? And I asked Dan, I said, what's going to happen to her? And he said, well, her engines need to be started about every 20 or so days else she'll be in pretty bad shape. And that really got me thinking about how she would be lonely. And that night I went home and I said, I'm gonna write a book about this. And she's a Gulfstream 100 plane and the very first Gulfstream 100, it was manufactured in Israel, was called the Astra. And so that's where I came up with the name Astra. I was wondering if he called her by that name throughout his time where that was something you came up with later. No, he then he latched on to the name. so. He ended up, someone else bought Astra and he has his happy ending as does the book and someone bought Astra in August of 2020, another local company. So at that point he started calling her Astra. So because of me, he, he always calls me and says, Astra landed safely in Colorado Springs or Astra, like now he's on his way to Orlando, Orlando today with Astra. So he does call her Astra now. So it's so kind of fun. It is a, I mean, it is a happy ending for Captain Dan, and we have not, I know the book is under embargo, so we have, we have not 
and, oh, and those of you can't see Julie because I know. you're seeing us. But I'm but holding a plane. <laughs> she's holding a plane in her yeah. hand. It's quite what, a beautiful plane, too. What age? So your book, what age? Talk to us about what age. I know a lot of teachers have endorsed this. What age? Mm -hmm. What age is the book it's for? It's really K five, K through five, uh, young reader book um, because it's rhyming, and. Um, but I feel that it's also a good book for preschoolers because because children will want to memorize the rhyming verse. If their parents read it at bedtime with the bright pictures and the rhyming verse, they'll be able to learn to read and learn the rhymes that way. But in the classroom, it's I'll be doing presentations to K through five. Hopefully yeah, I, in class. We probably Hopefully. we probably have a lot of people in our generation watching, and some of us have have grandchildren, and I know I pre-ordered some, and some of them my grandchildren will be able to read it, but some, their parents will still be reading to them. So I, I was I was curious about that. So talk to us about, because we talk a fair amount on the show about our writing process, mm -hmm. which is a grown-up book. Talk to us about the writing process for writing a children's book. You know, it... <laughs> First off, I want to say I kind of broke all the rules. I, I read all these books on how to write a children's book, and I just said, you know what? I'm going to do my own thing. I'm not going to pay any attention to the length or that people told me not to write a rhyming book because it's impossible. I just kind of threw that all out the window and did my own thing. So um, I started writing from the heart, and I've always written poems for people on every occasion. For their birthdays, I write my clients' poems. They look forward to it every year. And the, it's just always been inherent in me. In high school, like I've written 60th birthday odes now for all my friends on their Zoom birthday parties. I serenade them and it's just something that I do. So I'm good at rhyming. So I started writing from the heart about Astra and how Captain Dan, her faithful companion comes in and tells her, you're gonna be sitting all alone in your dark hangar, you're being sold. And I kind of took it from there <laughs> and I wanted to teach children a lesson about, because of the times, overcoming life's adversities, challenges, dealing with difficult people, which Astra does, and having hope. Oh, she does have cool. hope throughout. That's Captain hope. Dan keeps giving her hope. And um, at the end, she adapts to her new situation very well in Hollywood. She ends up in Hollywood. She's I'll a, just say oh, that. That's great. So you, Ooh, so you know, that's, that's, wow! Yeah. I now we know part of the story. That's <laughs> well, right. then there's book two, Astra in Hollywood, and and book three is Astra's Canine Rescue. She oh, rescues the dogs God. from the California wildfires, and now I'm starting on book four. <sighs> I don't wow, know how you get started on that. Incredible! That's pretty incredible. Have you written three are written? Three are written, and then I just came up with the idea for four the other day when I was talking to Captain Dan. Oh, the fun thing about the book too is, do you you all know Glenn Hartong, right? Yeah, yes, our absolutely. famous photographer, videographer, photographer extraordinaire. He shot the video, so I decided that I wanted kids to get a real up close and personal look of the real airplane and the real Captain Dan. So on a hot day, masked up in September, we went into the hangar and um, shot a three minute video of Captain Dan giving kids a video tour of the real airplane. And we have showed it in classroom and the kids are loving it. They said, listen to this. I look rich because I'm in a dress standing by a plane that I wish I owned. And Captain Dan looks sweaty. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was so hot in the cockpit. Glenn was sweating. I mean, we're all sweating. I kept blotting with those you know, towels. 
anyway, it was a lot of fun. So there's a QR code in the book that kids and parents can scan on their phones or iPads and actually watch the video at the end of the book of the real plane. And there's also a glossary of plane terminologies too. Oh, that's good. I think you're going to probably grow some pilots with this book. Jim. I hope so. You we know? need women pilots too. I've got yeah, yeah, a cool I was presentation. Just, I was just, I was just thinking that. Um, do you go into how much do you go into the whole pandemic in the book? We don't talk about the pandemic at all. I kind of wanted it to be timely because hopefully someday, someday, this thing will quit uh, evolving into different strains and we won't have a pandemic. Who knows when? Let's but I don't so. go into that. I will say that um, when Astra's being sold and all alone in her hangar and she's getting dingy and her oil's leaking and the bats and owls have taken over her hangar, then Captain Dan comes in and tells her that there's some potential buyers. So she kind of takes through each of the buyers who are all very uh, difficult and unusual in their own way <laughs> through. So there's kind of some subtle undertones in the book. Um, and she kind of handles it in a playful way as only a plane can mm -hmm. to kind of discourage them from buying her. And yeah, so the right buyer comes along. And I know that you, it's, it's inclusive in terms of, um, people of different ethnicities and gender, right? It definitely is. It definitely is. You know, Jen, Jen, Julie, that is really meaningful in a time where the country seems more separated than it has been in a long time. Um, why did you do that? I, I, I thought it was, I thought it was important. I mean, I had to make the main character Caucasian because he's in the video and he's my husband, but I just, wanted it to appeal to children everywhere. And actually the test class that we read it to is a class of third graders who are international language learners, largely from Africa, various countries in Africa and Mexico, which was perfect because they loved it. And um, so, you know, there were a lot of different ethnicities in that group and um, they loved it. I actually, I'll just say this without giving away too much, I, I told the illustrator, I want the new owner to look like Denzel Washington, okay? <laughs> have nice. a little crush on him. In my mind, he has to be old enough to have enough money to have a, a 10 million, which would be new, when it was new, it was a $10 million plane. Oh, okay. Um, so she actually made him look a little too hip and young with suspenders, and I'm like, He's handsome, but he's a little too hip and young to own a plane. I think he needs to look like he has a little more money. So then she she made him a little older with some gray gray beard and stuff. Actually, you could see Byron too. Oh, um, Denzel, when our, when our book is produced on TV, Denzel is Byron's pick to play him. That's right. Well, That's what right. am I going to do? I guess I get Byron. Yeah, you get me. You get you get me, and I you know I'll I'll do it. I'll do it for you. I'll just have to put on some prosthetics. <laughs> anyway, yes, there's a diverse and colorful cast of unusual characters. All right. Well, that's, she does end up in Hollywood. And what's really fun is when we read it to the third grade class of international language learners as a test, um, the teacher, she said, what do you want me to ask them? And I said, ask them what happens to Astra in Hollywood in the second book, like it, it ends with her in Hollywood. And then that's where the next book picks up. And they had some really fun ideas. And one of them was that Astor actually becomes a celebrity herself. Oh, so nice. I've used, a, I've incorporated a little bit of that uh, 
in the second book as Astro really does save the day. Oh, that's wonderful. You know, Julie, what, what prompted you to do this book in an era of COVID? Like you wrote this book in this, about the same time we were writing our book, Hope Interrupted. And, you know, for us, it was like cathartic, right? We were, mm. we were in this, you know, funky time yep. and, and we had a release there. Did, did you have something similar happen to you? Yes, it consumed me. Honestly, business was still fairly busy for me because a lot of clients needed to tell their COVID stories, but it slowed down enough that, yeah, I really, I really sunk my teeth in this. I honestly, let's see, I started writing it in May, the Dan lost, day Dan lost his job. I was already sending it to publishers by June, publishers and literary agents. So that consumed June, July. It was a great distraction and very therapeutic. By August 5th, I signed with my publisher. And nice. since then, I've, I've found out how slow the process is. I mean, every illustration has to be approved and every line and every character has to be just right. So it's taken longer than I thought, but now I know what to expect. I'll be ready to, as soon as the first book comes out, I literally want to send the publisher the second one and get started on it because it'll take another year. So it is, I mean, the, 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 business of writing a book mm. writing it is the fun part that's kind of what i i've been right. telling people writing it is the enjoyable part cool. even though we are pr communications people and publicists that's not a whole lot of fun that part of yeah. it is not a whole lot of fun i mean we love we love meeting with the public even if it's on zoom we love that we love hearing what everyone has to say and engaging with the readers in the audience, but it's uh, the process of dealing with the media and some of those things, as much as we love the media, that can be not fun. I know. Yeah, we I'm do getting love, ready we, to get into the publicity phase myself. I didn't mean to interrupt Byron, and I'm gonna have a call fine. with the marketing team at the publisher and find out who's doing what and kind of dip, because I don't know, I don't want to step on toes, but I need to have a clear delineation of what I can do and what they're doing. And, yeah, the book, I mean, the book business, and I know you've worked in it some, and we both have been around it some, but it's um, it's just like any of these other businesses that deal with artistic pursuits. And yep. someone said to me, an author said to me recently, that the writers should be able to just write and not have to mess with this other part. I but I that's know. the way the world is right now. Right. And you know, it's so competitive and uh, you know that and, and child, there's so many children's books on the market right now too, but you know what? It, it makes me happy. And honestly, when I got the final cover today, I sent it to my husband. He's like, Oh, I love it. And I started crying. I cry very easily these days. Well, I, you know, I cry. I just, you know, well, you know the feeling when you got the book in your hands, I'm sure you guys are just like, uh, I don't know what I'll do. I'll fall apart. But um, my dining room is going to turn into a shipping warehouse for probably a month or so with yep. the pre-order so uh hopefully my mom who's 86 and looking for something to do can stuff envelopes for me yeah it's kind of like having a baby it is it yeah, really is Byron, i know you don't know that feeling but you've heard about it <laughs> i've heard about it a few times yes i have uh, I, was, I was in the room three times so oh. I'm, i can see what it's like but i can't feel what it's like thank you lord before we get to our next subject, which is kind of careers during the pandemic, 
um, how did you how did you decide which illustrator to pick? How did that happen? Because your your illustrations are gorgeous. It's she a beautiful book. Yeah, she nailed it. I'll tell you, I had the vision in my mind, and so how we did this whole thing is the publisher actually gave me a portfolio to choose from. And they didn't tell me names. They just used initials like AACF, DDCQ, so that I couldn't Google anyone and couldn't look them up online. I literally just had the portfolio that they sent me to go by. And none of them were of claims, <laughs> obviously. So I picked the three that I really liked, that I liked their people. And actually, one of them had done dogs. And I knew in the back of my mind I was going to do the dog book. And she's actually Canadian and her name is Michelle Simpson. And when I saw her drawing of Captain Dan Astor, I cried. Of course, there I go. I cried again. <laughs> I cried. She nailed it. She knew she, I, and I took a whole Dropbox of the plane of photos of the interior and exterior on May 5th, millions of photos. And then when I went back to shoot the video with Glenn, I took a million more photos knowing that I wanted the illustrator to have every single thing from the cockpit to the wings to the the interior. And she just nailed it. I, I, I just, she's amazing. And how Astra has the expressions and she's crying and she's sad and she's dusty. And then Captain Dan cleans her up and she gets a spa day and she's all pretty again. And <laughs> a spa day. That's the so funny nice. thing is at the end, I wanted her to look jet lagged when he covers her up for the night. Yeah. It's a jet who's jet lagged. She's in California. Jet lag. That is hilarious. I'm excited. I'm really excited. <laughs> for, I'm excited for this book. And I, I love, I mean, I do love children's books. And I don't think there can be too many of them. I uh, hope. I hope. I mean, if I sell 200, you know, to my friends, I'm, I'm rewarded. We'll see what happens. I don't know. It, we're gonna do, you're gonna do well. So I predict you're gonna sell a lot, especially for Christmas, as grandparents and grand uncles like me with new babies in the family uh, have something to, to uh, send to their relatives. So yeah, I have a new grandbaby, and I plan on sending it to her. Well, the advanced copies I should have well in advance of the release date of March. Right. So hopefully at Christmas I'll be able to send my new granddaughter, who I'm going to meet in September in it's LA. In a pandemic. <sighs> yeah. So, so you have been um, successful and are really well thought of in the profession. And talk to us a little about what your world was like. I know you said that during the pandemic, I know you said that, you know, clients still obviously needed you to help them tell the public about different things, but kind of go into that a little more. Yeah, one of my clients is actually um, a, a major fitness club in the area. And so they actually kept me hopping. I mean, there's stories of what they were doing during the closing, how they were disinfecting, how they were installing new improved ventilation systems. So it was like constant. And then once everything reopened in June, what are we doing to keep members safe? How are we having temperatures taken and, and limiting class size and social distancing? So that was good. Another one of my clients is actually a physician. So it was the same kind of thing. What was he doing during the closure? He was selling products at drive through in his parking lot and, you know, sanitizing everything. And then when he reopened the mask wearing, he was actually doing virtual consults as many physicians were um, via Zoom during the time. So the stories of how he adapted and then when he reopened. So 
I was very fortunate that a lot of my clients, and I have a cemetery client, Ooh. and they were actually um, limiting funerals to 10 family members. We had to get the word out about how things had to be smaller and 10 families per funeral, which is sad. And um, they were opening their new funeral home in the middle of the pandemic. So it was unusual, but we kept the stories going because reporters honestly were looking for, I'm sick of saying it, but the new normal stories, right, at the time. And we don't want to hear that ever again, but so I have, a strange, I have a strange question without giving away the client's name. I know you have a client cause you, you post about it who deals with um, plastic surgery and improving appearance and all that there. What I keep hearing in the news is because we all were forced to look at ourselves so much um, that as soon as, as soon as plastic surgeons or the doctors who make people improve their appearance could start working again, that the floodgates open. Did your client it experience that? Mm -hmm. it's, it? zoomed, it's internationally. It's not just the United States. It is people going crazy looking at their necks and their eyes. Um, eye surgeries <laughs> fail. Look, when you're wearing a mask, what do you see? Oh my gosh. Eyes and necks. That's um, it. Busier well, than Myra, ever. You're a guy. You I'm don't have to worry about your neck like yeah. we do. I understand, <laughs> really? though. I look, but look, it's true. I do understand. I do. Um, Facebook is way my back teeth. up. My, my, my client added an extra day in the OR. Really? He was doing Saturdays on surgery. Uh, surgeries on Saturdays. Yeah. I mean, it's the demand is there. I mean, who would thought? But I even had, I'll just say this, uh, a personal trainer that I know grabbing me at the gym and saying, I need to get in the day they open. <laughs> I mean, do you have any in? Can I get in early? What, what can I get in at 8 a.m. on opening day? I mean, that's how wow. crazy it's been. Really? Yeah. So, you know, so, we, we are, we are Americans. You know, I, I never thought I would consider plastic surgery and I probably still won't. Me neither. 10 years but, ago. <laughs> right. But, um, but I have people, you know, around me who are close to me and not Jennifer, of course, because she doesn't need it and she's never going to get it. But people who are close to me are saying I could get, you know, some eye raises or whatever you want to call that thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like open my, my eyes a little bit more. She did it when she was 80. She got upper and lower yeah. black. My husband right. got one too. Absolutely. I mean, you want to have a competitive advantage. That's what you want to have. You want to have a competitive advantage. So I don't, I don't begrudge anyone who goes to get it because they should if they want. I to. said I never would, but then you know. Yeah. Here I am. Starts a little Botox. Then yeah. the ears. Yeah, the ears press on. I uh, this is necessary <sighs> for the podcast, but I have family members, <laughs> including one I'm married to, who are against it. So I'm thinking, uh, I guess, what am I going to do? Yeah. <laughs> You look great. I think though, I do think though, um, you know, it's one of those things where if it makes someone feel better and your client certainly is a skilled uh, doctor physician, he knows what he's doing and that's all, that's all good. That's right. I will say that um, the zoom boom is not what did it for me, the whole pandemic, but I do a major charity drive for foster kids every year and I was on CNN and um, New Day, and I was all over the local news, and that was, I started at like 
seven years ago, I think, is Cases for Love, where we collected suitcases for foster kids. Oh, and I yes. saw myself on high death, and I was like, okay, I need to do something. That that did it for me. Did it really? I was on the news all the time, and I saw how bad I looked. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sorry, guys. But yeah. For our audience, Julie Whitney's a beautiful, smart woman and a writer, and she wrote she a book is. about a beautiful female airplane. That's right. Which I think extra. did Dan always think of her as a female? The plane was that something? No, you know he really didn't. Like I'm the one that personified the plane. He'd be like, I gotta go fly the plane. I gotta go put gas in the plane. I gotta go. Planes down. I got to go do this. Um, not really. He never referred. I'm the one that did that. Uh, I mean, I think he thought I was crazy that night when I came home and said, I need to write a book about this. Um, pretty cool. You my did. mom believed it. My mom's like, Julie's going to do this. But I think Dan was maybe a little skeptical at first. And now we, he's very proud. We know that feeling. Spouses are always skeptical of this sort of thing. Um, yes. Byron's and mine, and they're our biggest supporters now. But you know, a lot of people in life say they're going to write. I'm going to write a book. I'm going to do this, and we we did. The three of us did, and that is something. And I I'm not trying to stand on a pedestal here, but it's something not that at all. people dream about. But our spouses all know how busy we are, and things we talk about over the years doing, and so it's. Um, you're not alone. I think most authors probably have a spouse who was skeptical at some point in the process. That's right. And, and then, we and everyone does have a book in them, don't you think? It's just who really is going to have the forethought to sit down and actually just do it. And like you said, it's not always, you know, cake and roses. It's it's a lot of work. It's, yeah. It's more. I I actually have told people it's more work than I ever ever imagined. Right. And I know you probably feel that way too. But you got a great publisher, Orange Frazier, and I've known those ladies for years and they are they, wonderful, we, wonderful folks. Well, we, we got well, so lucky with Orange Frazier. They they're terrific. They could I mean our deal because Hope Interrupted focuses pretty heavily on a certain period of time and we believe from our reviews that even this is sounding egotistical, but even thirty years from now people will still read it. Having said that, we wanted it to come out during a time period that mattered, and they were able to do that for us. I yeah. think I told you guys in my review, I said, I wish I had had this book as my Bible during 2020, but since you wrote it during 2020 and 2021, that wasn't possible, or 2020. And then I also said, what, what was it you just said? You just triggered something else. Um so if you read it in 30 years, maybe. Yeah, I said, if your kids write each other a letter, I don't know if you read my view, but I said, if I have children, I, I, I hope you. there Thank will you be for that. hope. Well, repeat that. They could. Repeat that. I said, I'm wondering if your children write each other letters for a year and 30 years from now, if the world will be a better place. I certainly have hope. Oh. It was something you and Jerry Springer both said that. Ah! <laughs> yeah. Jerry Springer, wow. if, you, yeah. if you flip to the back of your book and look at his <laughs> review, you wrote a beautiful review, and we thank you for that. But yep. he, um, he said his was a little more crass Jerry style. It was something like, and I don't have the book in front of me, but Julie's pulling hers down thank so you, you can read it. It's typical Jerry style. It's in the back flap. 
Yeah. Okay. Oh, do you want me to read it? Yes, please. Okay, I will, let me put my uh, 60 year old uh, readers on. Hold on. And okay. just, just go down to the end. Don't read the whole thing. You'll see. Oh. You'll see what he says. Oh, he said great grandchildren. Read this now and imagine what your great grandchildren will be thinking if they're lucky enough to read this. Will it be, gee, I wonder what that must have been like, or will it be, man, nothing's changed? Hopefully it won't be the latter. Well, and Jerry, um, I love Jerry, and I think he's a brilliant man, so you two were tracking on this. Yeah, you are. Well, we did go to Channel 5. I, we didn't overlap, but um, I inherited good. his couch after he left, his leather couch. So. Wonderful. He, he, liked, he was an early fan of, um, of the book. Yeah. So, great. Aaron, we, we are getting to about time, but yes, is there anything are. else, Julie, that you want to add? First, explain to people how they can get on your list to pre-order the book. Oh, to, to pre-order the book, they can visit Astra, A-S-T-R-A, thelonelyairplane.com and click on the link that will send me an email and tell me how many copies they want. Or they can just email me at julie at astra, thelonelyairplane.com. And what will happen is I'm going to send out a form um, when the time comes. It's just kind of an approximate number of how many you want. And the form will indicate how many you actually want. It'll be your final order, how you want each book signed, where they get shipped, et cetera. And I'm going to use PayPal so that to make it easy on everyone. So Wonderful. I believe this book is going to do extraordinarily well. So do I. And, and I'm going to say to our I have hope, guys. <laughs> that you should you should get on her list now because um, when they sell out the first round, it'll take a while to get uh, to, to publish her a little bit of time. But it's beautiful from what I've seen, and we haven't seen it all, but we've seen enough to know it's a a beautiful book and extremely well written with good lessons for for children. That's right. Thank you. Everybody needs to learn patience, you know, and not instant. Um, gratification, which that's, that's one of the reasons why I'm going to get it. So. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And math and geography and about planes too. So. Yes. You're going to make some pilots. I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah. So we have In my classroom presentations. I'm going to tell kids what skills you need to become a pilot. I'm, I'm trying to recruit. That's Good. great. That's Good. great. And girls are going to be drawn to it with a female, with a female that's plane. Awesome. And that's pretty cool. So yeah. today in our hopeful moment, what we're going to talk a little about the vaccine again. More people are getting vaccines across the country. More people in the state of Ohio, where Byron and Julie are, in my home state, New Mexico. So those numbers are going up, but they're not high enough. So I'm hopeful. In the United States, we have several different vaccines. And I believe they work, and I believe the scientists. But we are also concerned here at Hope Interrupted about the folks not getting them. I believe that the scientists know what they're doing and that getting the vaccine is gonna help humankind. So this is our PSA, please get your vaccination. They are free and pretty much you can get them at drugstores, hospitals, doctor's offices, anywhere you want. This is a really easy process. Thanks for joining us today. And if you've not read Hope Interrupted, go to hopeinterrupted.com or Amazon to learn more about it. Thank you, Thank Jennifer. You. Thank you, Julie. Thank you. And we'll see everyone later next week. Thanks for having Take me. Care now. You're welcome. Bye.
Take us out, my godson, Starscream the Giant. Goodbye. <laughs>